as we continue to glory in Christ and give glory to him and looking forward to approaching him and partaking of him at the table. Let us look briefly into his word and uh, sort of a topical communion meditation here. Uh, as many of you know, I didn't get saved until my mid-20s, and I was aware at that time, uh, being in a small country church in Washington State, that I was really kind of outside the loop on the Christian lingo, as it were. It's one reason why I actually started a distance learning Bible college initially, was I kind of wanted to get caught up. You know, I hadn't spent all the years in the proverbial Sunday school in order to learn the rudiments of the faith, as it were. And uh, it was when I was first living in, uh, and this was before that time, of course, but living in a small mountain town in Idaho is when the Lord really stirred up in my heart a desire to attend a church. I was in a ski town, wasn't a skier, had spare time, and I was looking, the Lord was drawing my heart, obviously, though this was uh, many months before I actually got saved, but I was looking for a church to go to, and this was uh, 1999, 2000, and I looked up a, what church in the phone book, and I was confused because for the Episcopal Church, it said Eucharist at 1030. And I was like, and what's the Eucharist? (laughs) I didn't Google it. I went to a dictionary, and the dictionary definition wasn't really helpful either. Uh, All it said was the sacrament that Episcopalian churches celebrate. I was like, (laughs) I need a better dictionary, right? And so I just wanted to briefly touch on a few uh, terms that we use. I think we use them casually. Uh, We use them with understanding. I'm not saying we don't all uh, know what we're talking about and we're not uh, without knowledge tossing out these phrases, but to remind us, uh, to instruct ourselves uh, about the terminology, the nomenclature used for uh, this sacrament. So briefly, three things, the Eucharist, communion, and the Lord's table or the Lord's supper. And the text, at least for one of those, is from 1 Corinthians 10, where Paul says, I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. That'll be our third one, Lord's table. But first, briefly, Eucharist. It's not wrong that the Episcopalian Church speaks of the Eucharist. It's certainly one aspect of this sacrament. It comes from the Greek word Eucharista, which has the basic meaning of thanksgiving. So giving thanks. There's much to be thankful for, obviously. As a sacrament, it's taken from the description of Jesus' Passover with the disciples, as recorded in the Gospel accounts, right? He gave thanks for the bread. He gave thanks for the cup and then shared that with his disciples. So it refers to his words in uh, establishing the sacrament at that Passover. Uh, The use of the word uh, Eucharist to refer to the sacrament is ancient. It's not a modern invention. It doesn't date to the Church of England or anything like that. Uh, It's quite ancient, early uh, second century. Uh, We see documentation of it. And so to say we are partaking of the Eucharist is to say that we're partaking of the meal that Jesus set aside, that he sanctified, that he made holy in giving thanks for those elements. Second one, briefly, communion. I think this is a phrase that we use uh, here in our circles most popularly, communion. This is the communion meal. Uh, You're probably familiar with the Latin term communio, meaning share in common. Uh, In the biblical text, the idea is seen in the word koinonia, which we know from other uh, contexts, which is to be associated with, to come in close contact with, to have something in common, uh, to be a sharer with, the idea of fellowship. 
to have fellowship in something or in the people, and indeed here to have fellowship in Christ. So when Jesus consecrated the bread and the wine, he shared them with his disciples. But of course, he was sharing himself with the disciples, right? That's the uh, really amazing union that we see here with Christ and these elements. Spiritually, he is present to us. He shares himself with us. In Acts, we read of Christ's followers sharing their possessions, right? They had everything in common. People had a need. He, hey, I'll provide it for you. Uh, the Apostles' Creed includes the phrase, we believe in the communion of the saints. That's maybe one other context we hear this word communion. The idea there is the <clears throat> collectiveness, the sharing togetherness of the body of Christ. And to note that the Apostles' Creed there, and speaking of the communion of saints, is not just the visible church now, the people you can see, the people you can help unload their moving trucks or build a, uh, bring a meal to when they've just had a new baby, but this is a church throughout history, living and deceased. All saints are joined together in the communion of the saints. So looking at this phrase then, taken together, to say that we're partaking of communion is to say that we're partaking of the meal wherein Christ established that bond, the fellowship among believers, the bond of sharing between himself and all those believers. And importantly, again, what is it that Christ shares with us? Not simply a morsel of food, not simply a, a mental recollection of his death and suffering and resurrection, but he shares himself. Thirdly, Lord's Supper or the Lord's Table. And one reference to that is from the text I read there in 1 Corinthians 10. Uh, these terms, uh, also appearing in chapter 11, are expressly and in more uh, detail written into the Westminster Confession of Faith. So perhaps if we're going to key in on the English Presbyterian history and uh, be Westminster Presbyterians, this would be our preferred terminology. Uh, the Lord's Supper is prominent there since it's actually the title of a whole chapter, uh, I believe chapter 29. I encourage you to read it later. Uh, the Greek wording from which we get these phrases, Lord's Supper and Lord's Table, is most commonly understood in the English as a possessive, right? The apostrophe S, the table that the Lord owns, the supper that he owns. That's how we in English understand uh, the case of the Greek there as it's translated into English. Our English-speaking minds think of this as ownership, what he possesses or is in charge of or gives rules that govern. That's what we understand by the possessive tense. He owns it, he serves it, he makes the rules, and we are his guests. All of that is indeed true. But the uh, Greek has other features to the genitive case, and one is called the attributive genitive. So attributes of the Lord are seen in the table. It's one way to word it. So uh, if you think of the common form of adjectives in English is to add L-Y, right? Lordly table. So think, in what way is this a lordly table? In what way does this display the character or the being, uh, the nature of Christ? What attributes of his are ascribed to this table, to this meal? I would assert that all, or at least features of, both his kingly and priestly offices are seen, uh, these attributes are seen and manifested in this sacrament. Remember, as our king, he's fought the battle, he's won the victory, and he's set out the table as a victory banquet, sending away all his enemies. Think of Psalm 23, right? We sets a, he sets a table before us in the midst of his, our enemies. Sorry, that's Psalm 110. Um, also, in terms of uh, priestly office, uh, he has reconciled us to the Father. 
right? Blood has been shed, and he has poured that out on our behalf. So the phrases Lord's table and Lord's supper clearly put Christ at the center of this communion, this fellowship, this sacramental meal. He is the center of the event. He makes us recall that it is his table. So he does own it. He does make the rules. Definitely don't set that aside. He instituted it. He tells us how to partake of it. It is him that we meet here. His character and his work are reflected in it. So I'm not going to say any of those three labels is better than the other. I think it's good for us to have flexibility of speech, perhaps even as we're interacting with Christians of other denominational or historical persuasions. It's good to be uh, mentally exercised in the different phrases so that we can bridge those gaps of terminology. We don't want them to be walls between us and other parts of the true visible church, and uh, nor do we want to section ourselves off just by our vocabulary. So let us maybe stretch ourselves a little bit, be using these phrases in ways uh, that we haven't previously in order to explain to ourselves, explain to our children, explain to our neighbors what it is that we so eagerly and gratefully look forward to. And let us not take for granted that week in and week out, he sets this table before us. We have the privilege of partaking it. And so may we indeed glory in the Lord whose table we come to enjoy. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your great grace in explaining to us through language and through the person of Jesus uh, these great mysteries. Uh, we certainly don't know all the details, uh, but we know that the, while the secret things belong to the Lord, that which has been revealed is for us and for our children. So may we understand according to your revelation, not delving too deeply into things that you have not revealed to us, but to embrace these truths to really be thankful for the great work that Christ has done for us, to enjoy to the fullest this close relationship, this fellowship that we have with you, our God, and with our brothers and sisters. And Lord, to humbly come to your table to partake of this supper meal, knowing that it is a gift, knowing that it's only by grace that we can be here, uh, but that you do receive us for the perfect, satisfying work and righteous life of dear Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.